Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network, where we are very proudly based out of Elevation Hotel in Mount Crested Butte. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. We've got a really cool episode for you here today. I am talking with Folsom Custom Skis' Mike McCabe about the skinniest ski in the Folsom lineup, the Spar 78. And then we jump to a new huge POW ski called the Rotor, which if you are a real hardcore Gear 30 fan, you will remember a Gear 30 conversation that we had back in April about this new ski And this new ski now exists in the world. So we go from skinny frontside ski to big old monster pow ski. And then, and then folks, we really get into the weeds, you know, in a very good Gear 30 type of way. Talking about a new custom touring ski project for yours truly. So in this conversation, you're going to hear Mike and me talk about how this custom touring ski project came to be. And then for all you self-respecting gear dorks out there, I think you're really going to dig hearing Mike and me talk about different materials and construction layups to hit different weight points in the making of this ski. And I have a hunch because I know you you gear 30 dorks this is really going to get your wheels turning too as you think about weight points to downhill performance and who knows maybe you'll end up on your own custom ski project and have to sort some of this out for yourself too anyway i think you're going to really dig it and let us know of course what you think of this episode and what you think of the information let us know oh right Speaking of reviews and feedback and letting us know, folks, I believe we are down to, we just need 34 more reviews, ratings and reviews of Gear 30 and Apple Podcasts, and then this guy is going snowboarding. We just had a review come in uh, earlier this week. This was by B. Miltonberg, who wrote, I'm actively participating in an organized effort to help Jonathan go from one to two broken arms. Oh, yeah. And sure, the show is great and all that, too. Anyway, folks, I see you. I hear you. I know what you want. I know you want to see Carnage. Just know that we're going to make the video. You're going to get to see it. But I am not trying to bring you the carnage that you so bloodthirstily seek. We're going to see who wins. Those on the side of seeing the carnage or me, and I'm certain I'm going to lose. Anyway, folks, we got 34 reviews to go. Again, thank you seriously so much to all of you who have written in and said nice things about the show. We love doing it. We love hearing from you. And I'm telling you, we got a good one here for you today. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by Powder 7, which is located in Golden, Colorado. Powder 7 offers an expansive inventory of ski and snowboard gear, stocking over 120 brands, including a few models of Folsom Custom skis. And that just dawned on me, like, right now, actually. So, yeah, they carry a ton of stuff. 
And not only can you shop new gear and talk with their passionate staff, but Powder 7 offers one of the largest selections of used demo skis, which is the perfect way to get a great pair of skis at an affordable price. Plus, with Powder 7's trade-in program, you can save money on your next pair of skis while also ensuring that your skis can live on and stay out of the landfill. Think of it as ski cycling. It's like, you know, recycling, but, but with skis. Powder 7's trade-in program makes skiing more accessible and more affordable, and Powder 7 believes in skiing for all. They also have some great boot fitters on their staff, and boot fitting appointments are required, so be sure to book yours today via their website because appointments are filling up fast during this holiday season. And if all of this sounds pretty cool, but you don't frequent the Golden Area and you want to check out this whole Powder 7 operation, well, Powder 7 has a huge online store, online blog, and tons of info on their website. So go check it out at powder7.com. And now let's jump deep into the weeds, shall we? With Folsom Custom Skis, Mike McCabe. Here we go. Well, Mike, good to see you. Why don't we start with you giving us a bit of an update of what's going on at Folsom Custom Skis? Good to see you as well, Jonathan. I guess the last time we really spent some significant time together was up in Alaska. So back in our home turf and I'm sitting mm-hmm. here in my my Denver headquarters here at my 10,000 square foot manufacturing space here in Denver, Colorado. Um, we got a lot going on as per usual, just how ski manufacturing goes, uh, especially this time of the year as we're nearing the holiday Christmas deadlines. We are constantly playing that game of chess to make sure we're getting every ski built at the exact same or exact right time, rather, to make sure we get stuff delivered and keep our, our clients happy. So, um, you know, above that, we're just doing what we do best and, you know, building custom skis every darn day. I guess I didn't have a great sense of that for for you guys as a custom ski builder. If, you know, the vast majority of orders that would come in for a season, if everybody wants their skis, you know, before opening day, or if there's a big percentage that are looking to get a ski before Christmas. Yeah. What's like the ratio of that? Yeah. So generally, I mean, we're busy all time, you know, 360 days, 365 days a year. That's just how it is here. We're busy all the time. We're building skis at least 50 weeks a year, but it gets very, very extra stressful and difficult really from like the end of October until about the end of February, just because you're constantly trying to figure out, you know, when trips are happening for these clients. And we have a a pretty constant two week turnaround time always, but oftentimes we'll need to do something, you know, a little sooner, you know, God forbid something goes wrong in manufacturing and we got to rebuild a ski. There's just always, you know, variants and components that add into that calculation. So, uh, you know, this time of the year is just extra complex for us because we're just every single ski that we're selling right now generally has a pretty tight deadline on it. So, um, you know, ratio wise in total, it's, it's a pretty small amount really about that three-month window is just uh, uh, notoriously quite uh, complex for us from a, a logistics standpoint. 
And let's hope that FedEx and UPS don't uh, screw up on the shipping because that's when it's out of our hands. And, you know, we hope it makes it. We did our side of the deal. (laughs) Well, either FedEx or UPS uh, at least got one thing right. And that is uh, we just got a pair of SPAR 78s sent to Blister headquarters. And this is funny to me because... I don't think you ever brought this ski up to me. I had to ask you about it. And, you know, um, for people who know, the Folsom Spar 88 is a ski that we've been singing the praises of for a number of years now. And I was like, wait a sec, there's a 78 now? And I was like, Mike's never brought this up, never mentioned it. And I was like, dude, I want to get on this thing. And just see, you know, how it stacks up to other 78 millimeter wide skis out there, how it also stacks up to the SPAR 88 that we know really well. And so that just arrived. But I guess I want to know why we never talked about this ski until I brought it up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, honestly, uh, there's a lot of our skis in our lineup that we haven't really talked about. And um, I think it's just really of, of the heavy offering that we have here at Folsom Custom Skis. We need to have every box checked. We need to have something from a 78, literally all the way up to a 132, 140 underfoot and everything in between. So there's a lot. Um, and uh, I do feel a bit embarrassed that I didn't bring this up in consideration of that. You know, Spar 88 has been such a successful ski. Certainly, you guys have loved it, and um, you know it's it's just really been a great ski. And this seventy eight was really an extension on the ethos on how we designed that eighty eight. The seventy eight was the exact same concept. We didn't want to have just another seventy eight like every other company out there. That's just kind of a dumbed down race ski. We didn't want a bush league race ski. We wanted something that was for skiers that like narrower skis, really low tide, maybe you know people that need that that box checked. We wanted something that gave you accessibility to the rest of the mountain, specifically bumps and a lot of the mixed terrain that you find in, you know, where we're skiing, where you're skiing, where a lot of uh, US is skiing. And that's what we designed with that 78. And it's been in our lineup since 2017, 18 season, I want to say. And yeah, it's like, I don't even know (laughs) eggs on my face. It's like we go heli skiing up in AK and talk about pal skis. And, you know, that 78 hasn't really been in, you know, our line of sight when we're skiing together because it just hasn't been the appropriate one. But yeah, right now it's perfect. You know, early season, let's test it out. Let's, you know, see how it reacts on these, you know, more hard packed rumors. And I can't wait to hear what you guys think about it you know, kind of A to being it against whatever, you know, all the other skis you have in that category. Cause yeah, like I just said, we designed it with a much different philosophy than I see across the mass market. Um, it really just, you know, to really drive this home, we didn't want to just blend into all the other brands ideas here. We wanted to have something that was just a narrower offering that gave you access to the rest of the mountain. And with that, We've definitely achieved that with that ski. So I'm very excited to see what how it's received on your guys' end. Yeah. Um, if we keep this short, I might actually get to go ski it today. All right. Let's do yeah. that. <laughs> so we'll see. Another ski going to literally swinging to the opposite end of the spectrum 
we got to talk about the rotor. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So this big beauty sitting right over my right shoulder is the rotor. It's built. It is officially out there in the ether and ready to go. We are shipping that exact ski to Paul Forward today. CPG's season is open and we are sending this out there to to see how it does up in his neck of the woods. Um, this key came out perfect. I'm very confident in what we designed with this. You know, if, if people have been listening to our past conversations through the Alaska trip, you know, the many conversations that you've had with Paul since then, um, it's been mentioned and the whole naming concept of where do we go with the name? We landed on rotor. It's just so appropriate for what it is. It's a heli deep snow ski rotor, rotor wash, kind of that whole concept of using a helicopter, but. Um, the footprint of it is 158, 132, 148 with a 23 meter radius. So I did do some nuance in how I designed the side cut to make it have a faster radius. So it wouldn't just continue to be up in that 28 meter range with such a wide ski, which I feel very strongly. You need something with a little bit more accessibility and something that's going to allow you to turn such a giant boat a little bit sooner, a little bit easier. So. Long story short, it's out, it's ready to go. We're gonna be doing a proper product launch really soon. So stay tuned. We think this rotor is gonna be one of the best PAL skis ever developed, specifically for that style of PAL that we encountered up in AK. You know, as you well know, there's a lot of variant types of soft snow, mm -hmm. which we talked about at length with all these different, you know, PAL ski uh, conversations that we've had in the past, but in particular for that snow and the accessibility that we found through CPG, that rotor is going to be one of the hands down, one of the best tools mm -hmm. that has ever been used for that. All right. Now that's a bit of the catching up updates stuff. Um, now we're moving in to talking about a new ski that we're going to kind of work on together. I guess technically this is a ski for me. Um, and before we get there, I think the right way to do this is to clear some things up about a ski that is called the Folsom Primary and a ski that's called the Folsom Giver. We are going to be working together and putting together a giver for me, but we need to explain the relationship of the primary to the giver. The floor is yours. Yeah, I appreciate you giving me this opportunity because this is something that we at Folsom try to, you know, make this more clear every time we go through some name iteration changes. And it seems like we end up murky in the waters up more. Um, so anyway, uh, the Giver is a ski that we developed all the way back in 2009-2010 season. And eventually that ski, exactly the same dimension set, everything about it got transitioned with a new name iteration to the primary. And as time went on, we wanted to consolidate the primary family and start adding more widths. So the primary 95, the primary 104, and then the primary 110, which created a bit of an outlier with that former giver being in that primary category because it didn't have the same footprint across all the lengths. It went 107, 110, 114 as the length grew. So what we did is we retooled the primary 110 and made it so it's got the same footprint all the way across the board from 
roughly about a 160 all the way up to 192. Tighter radii, making the ski just a little more accessible, a little more um, just favorable for, you know, more of the, the front range skiing that you're experiencing. And then we just took that primary name and gave it back the giver name. And that's the longer radii skis with that 25 meter radius and 27 meter radius. So to be clear, the skis that we've built yep. for you, including the hammer, yep. the original primary are now under the name yep. iteration of the giver. So if that didn't make things even more clear or more confusing hopefully i've somewhat cleared things up there <laughs> i have to confess i was just thinking about the fact that this ski that and people can go find this gear 30 podcast from a couple years ago but i guess technically that would mean that the hammer was the Folsom primary hammer edition now i'm afraid it would be called giver the hammer or something this is, I don't know, we need to quickly run away from this, but I think that's where we might be living. Um, anyway, so yeah, but, and and if people are curious about, you know, if they're looking back or they know people or they themselves have a ski called the primary, the way to figure out if in fact that is a giver or a primary is that side cut radius. That would be the, the primary yes. identifier of which which way we're going exactly that's honestly the easiest way to point pinpoint it is directly underfoot and every ski we ever build has got that dimension set on it and if it's got the dimension set that now lives under the giver and says primary yeah. that's okay what happened. yeah so there so. there's some important <laughs> backstory on that anything else we should know about those sort of naming convention changes or the decisions to yeah move like still have the primary now have the giver by the way what was the inspiration of the giver name well so i mean that was the first competition ski i ever built for myself all the way back in 06 07 and being somebody from america when i heard that term <laughs> up in canada for the first time i was like holy shit this is a funny term like givery you know, and I, I really adopted it early and was like, we got to name a ski this. It just is so appropriate. You want something that's, you know, big, bad and fast, like giver implies. Mm -hmm. So we named it that a long time ago. And then all of a sudden some other companies came out and I started noticing that name was being used across the board for, mm -hmm. you know, other products, other things along that the lines. And that's what kind of, um, you know, caused us to end up really changing the name over to the primary. But yeah, the original name was from many trips to Whistler hanging out with those crazy Canadians and hmm. learning of the term giver and being like, man, that is a, that's a ski name and a half. If I've ever heard it, <laughs> we have done this twice. Um, that initial primary 110. Then I was like, let's make it heavier and stiffer. And then we came up with the hammer and to, to jump ahead just a little, we're going to now, uh, be kind of running the opposite way from the hammer. And now we're going to be talking today about a touring ski. Yep. And so where, where this came up was through my conversations with our reviewer, Paul Forward, who I don't, I mean, some of these conversations happened before we were all in Alaska mm -hmm. uh, this past April, but certainly there, as Paul's been talking about that giver shape he thought could be perfect as a kind of daily driver for his home mountain of Alieska Resort. Mm -hmm. 
And the more that Paul was kind of talking about that ski, um, it got me thinking about a touring version of this. And so that had kind of been on my mind, especially as we were starting to think through our the 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 series we do every year on our quivers, right? Yep. And I started thinking about that giver shape as a 50-50 ski, mm-hmm. but also as just a dedicated touring ski. And then we got to talk about bag balm. Have I left anything out in the story yet? No, I don't think so. And lucky enough, I was actually able to connect with Paul earlier today just to mm. kind of talk through the whole naming thing with him and make sure that we were clear on that because... Uh, you know, I kind of left everybody in the confused side of things on that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's, he's loving that ski up there. He's been mm-hmm. skiing it a bunch early season and it's been his go-to. He's been digging it, but, uh, hmm. yeah, no, I think you, uh, you drew a pretty perfect circle there. Okay. So someone probably is thinking, how did you just transition into a, saying we need to talk about bag balm? Um, we've been talking about this, um, on blister. The fact that Bag Balm is the sponsor of the backcountry program for our upcoming Blister Summit. And I've said, you've heard me talk about this. That's a big deal because it turns out to hire a bunch of professional guides to take Blister Summit attendees out on tours. We do a group of morning tours. We do a group of afternoon tours. Frankly, this is an expensive thing to do, and it's something, thanks to Bag Balm, that we can offer for free for Blister Summit attendees. So that's awesome, and we are happy to see companies stepping up, supporting events in snow sports, right? And Bag Balm is doing that. Now, little did I know, they were thinking of reaching out to you guys, and I was talking to Libby Parent, this, the president of Bag Balm. We were recording a conversation. We got done recording. We were just having a casual conversation. And she was like, hey, um, do you know this company, Folsom Custom Skis? I was like, yeah, Libby. Um, yep, very, very well. <laughs> and she's like, what do you think of them? <laughs> and I was like, well, we have a pretty long history here. What do you want to know? Uh, you know, yada, yada. And... She was like, well, we're thinking of working with them on some skis. And now I'm going to stop talking and let you kind of pick up this story. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just such an interesting small world story, you know, and being so far apart, you know, one geographically yep. and two just yep. industry wise, um, you know, kind of a backstory on my end, which had kind of brought me in their line of sight is Myself and my brother, born and raised in Colorado. My brother married a girl from Vermont. He moved back there with her to raise his family. Bag bomb. All of a sudden, I start noticing this company and I'm like, what's this product? As I start going back to visit my brother and I'm like, wow, this is some cool stuff. You know, don't really think much about it. Started using it in my own life. Yada, yada, yada. It's, it's, it's a good, clean product that got brought to me just because I went to Vermont to visit my brother. Fast forward a couple years, um, my brother's brother-in-law starts working for him. His name also happens to be Mike. Mike reach out, reaches out to me and is like, 
hey, so are you familiar with the Blister Summit? Do you know Jonathan Ellsworth? And I'm like, what? Where are these questions coming from? Like, what's going on? Pump the brakes, man. Yeah. What are you talking about? And then all of a sudden, boom, the Libby Parent episode comes out on your crafted yep. uh, network. And I'm just like, whoa, what is going on here? This is totally wild. And Mike illustrates what they're looking for and says, hey, we're looking to do some custom skis. You know, we want to do something cool at the summit. And we think you'd be a good partner for it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like, I can't think mm -hmm. of a, a more cool company to align my company with. Um, you know, 125 year old American company that stayed yeah. small, stayed, you know, really true to their values all the way through. That's exactly what I'm trying to develop with Folsom Skis. We're 15 years mm -hmm. into what we're doing. I can only hope and pray that, you know, 110 years from now, my grandkid right. is, you know, talking about Folsom in this light. Um, so once that all kind of came together, it was just like such a funny thing where it was like, man, what, what a small world where, you know, my brother's brother-in-law reaches out to me from Vermont, from bag bomb, starts talking to me about the blister summit. Are you guys going to the blister summit, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, what's wait a minute, what's going on? And that's when I, I honestly kind of raised the hand and was like, I think I need to talk to Jonathan to get the whole picture here before I continue to yeah. move forward with this. So. Yeah. yeah, pretty interesting and cool, you know, connection yeah. there for for all of us, um, you know, to be now working together and, you know, kind of uh, promoting each other's products and doing cool things. So then Libby, you know, after I was like, yes, you should 100% work with Folsom. And a few days later, she was like, so we're going to get some custom skis made. We're going to be giving away at the summit a chance to win a pair of Folsom custom skis. So summit attendee members come up to the bag balm booth. You can enter to win a pair at the summit. But Libby was like, would you be interested, Jonathan, in having a custom ski made for yourself? And this is where I'm like, funny you ask, because I've been thinking about you know, we've gone pr maybe the heaviest giver ever made it is. in that, <laughs> that hammer edition. And so I had been thinking, let's go kind of not to make the lightest ski. We'll get there in a minute, but to now go to see how that shape works when we pull weight out of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this is something I'd been thinking of anyway. And so I was like, yeah, Libby, we have exactly the thing. I've been thinking about this as a touring ski. Oh, Bag Balm is sponsoring the backcountry touring pro portion of the summit. So, folks, I, I hope if this is too much behind the scenes stuff for you, I'm sorry. But this is literally the true story of how all of this kind of came to be. And, and um, I think it's, it's pretty fun for me. I think this will be... I mean, it is the first time in the history of Blister we've ever essentially worked with a similar kind of platform. We've literally made the heaviest one ever made. Mm -hmm. But today we're now shortly here going to start talking about a touring version of that sort of s similar or same shape. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah no, this is um, this is going to be fun. And, and uh, an exciting thing to also announce about the giveaway at Blister is it's a custom ski. It's, you know, we're, we're going to have the, the aesthetic hashed out with a co-branded Folsom bag bomb top sheet that's going to be kitted out and look awesome. Um, but what we're going to build underneath the ski is going to be exactly like how we discuss whatever we want to do. 
So yeah. it's not just a pre-built ski, which is a, you know, it's what Folsom does and it's, it's, you know, what we wanted to bring to the table. And, uh, yeah. I'm pretty darn excited to actually get you set up on a pair of these. And that's actually the punctuation of where I rose the hand is when I got an email from them. It's like, Hey, we're going to do a ski from Jonathan. And I was like, I hadn't talked to you yet. We need to talk before I even respond <laughs> to this email so I can yeah. make sure that all of this is, you know, making sense. So yeah, yeah, that said, I'm excited to dig into this and really talk through the logistics on the giver. This will be a really fun exercise to see from, one really far extreme of a very heavy 2350 gram ski to something that's you know more reasonable and you know we can start diving in really now and figuring out you know how we want to configure this because this shape can truly carry almost every every kind of weight you can imagine from a very very lightweight to something like you're describing in the middle or clearly like that hammer that's all the way up to 2300 plus grams yeah yeah and my hope here is that you know, for anybody who has ever been curious about the process of, you know, just having a custom ski made, um, hopefully some of this conversation will be interesting for those people because I have my, some things like will require no back and forth. I am clear. I want, you know, this, this, and this. But I think there are a couple of things that you and, and to be clear, you and I have not had this conversation yet. So we're we're no. working this out yep. live. Yep. My hope is that it will just maybe pull back the curtain a little bit for people. They can hear the things that I'm concerned about. And so if they're contacting you, you know, maybe they'll get a better handle on like, yeah, I want to ask about that too. Or, you know, um, I mean, one of the things, for example, the length of this ski, I'm very clear on. For other people calling you up, they might be actually a bit more torn on exactly what length to go with. Um, so my questions and concerns won't be the exact same as yours, but hopefully it's still an interesting process, um, you know, to 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 listen to and you know make people think. Yeah, that capacity to make some of these tweaks myself—that's actually pretty intriguing. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's, it's honestly a very good opportunity for me to kind of walk through this in a live format to kind of, you know, peel back the onion in the way that we really work. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's any custom fit. I've got really three big components that I'm looking at. And, um, you know, first off is I want to really get to know you lucky enough. You and I know each other. Well, we've skied together many times. I understand, you know, how you ski and what works for you. So, we can kind of skip over that formality just in the effort of saving time here and not having an hour long, you know, Hey, tell me about your background, Tim, tell me yeah. about what kind of got you current in the ski industry. And then I really also like to, in that, in that same piece of the conversation, talk about goal setting, you know, what's, what's really the, you really want this ski to be, you know, doing for you. Is it something that you want to be, you know, something that's going to give you some more, aggressive attributes, some more growth, or you're really comfortable where you at, you know, stuff like that. And then the next big piece. So that's the first one. The next big piece is baselines. You know, what have you been skiing on? What mm -hmm. have you been using for this use case? You know, let's talk about that and really understand, you know, the bindings, the boots, the skis, mm -hmm. everything. Um, and that's honestly one of the biggest pieces of my job is understanding all of this product 
and really understanding how it works and, and how to apply that to my recipes. And then really the third big component is the use case. Let's really nail it down and let's be honest. Let's take bravado and ego out of this, which is an unfortunate, you know, byproduct of most ski conversations. And let's really talk about like, hey, how are you going to use this, man? Are you really going to be like skiing the most pucker, crazy, you know, eight hour approach, you know, 3000 vertical foot, crazy couloir stuff? Are you doing some, you know, quick fitness laps or, you know, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Let's really talk yeah. about it and really have a clear target. Those are the three yeah. big components that I want to have in the conversation. And then it's pretty boilerplate after that. I know exactly how to configure the ski to get to that desired weight and that desired performance attribute that we want to, you know, achieve. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I kind of wasn't really thinking about this part of it, but maybe this is the part where I'm not leading this conversation anymore. Do you want to just lead it? I mean, and you've already said you don't have to maybe ask me every single question you would ask someone who's coming in new to Folsom, but I'm, I'm happy to kind of just sit here and have you kind of go through what you would normally do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just in a, in an effort to not get too deep in the weeds and in the get to know you, because we know each other well, um, we can kind of skip over that, but, um, realistically the next thing that I really wanted to lean into, or the, the first thing, I guess, in this case that I wanted to lean into is what have you been using for this use case? What skis, what boots, what bindings? And let's really nail that down. And then let's talk about the boot and the binding that you want to pair with this ski so I can really match this and have that total scope put together. That I think is going to be the best spot for us to start. And then once we get that nailed down, we can really talk about the exact use case and that target, you know, that weight target. I would hazard a guess that Knowing you, you probably got a pretty darn clear target. Um, yeah. Oftentimes, that's the case when I'm speaking to somebody, you know, about a touring ski. Oftentimes, it's not where somebody can just say, hey, you know, here's what I need it for. And, you know, I really do need as much weight savings as possible or maybe not so much. You know, I want that mm-hmm. kind of more performance and I'll compromise on the weight component. So that said, um, I'd love to just start off with... Um, really those two pieces of it. Let's talk about what you've been using for what we're going to be building and or kind of replacing for your personal skis. For the skis. Correct. For the ski start and skis. Yeah. So I have been clear that for a number of years now, um, and you can go back and look at what I've said and done in our, you know, ski quiver articles the forefront raven has been if i get one touring ski that has been a ski that um i've been a huge fan of now that's about 104 millimeters wide and i now a couple couple other important things the reason i haven't gone to a wider ski than that is because frankly given what i do for a living when it has just snowed, I'm in the resort because just to be able to use chairlifts and get more pow laps, that's that's where we are. And we are testing skis because that's what we do yep. all year round. 
And so when I do the bulk of my touring, it is typically most of my touring is happening after the chairlifts close for the season. And so I'm not as worried about POW touring, um, you know, and there are those occasional days throughout the season when I will be touring and get deep days. And then we get those, you know, those spring storms coming in. And so we certainly still get POW days in the backcountry, but I have been willing to skew a little bit narrower for my single touring ski with the Raven. Um, another ski that I have gotten along well with, I hated this ski when it first came out, um, but the Forefront Hoji. Um, when that came out, I've talked to Eric Hurlipson about this. He kind of agrees with me on that first version of it, but I think that ski is really nice now. That ski is coming in around that 112 millimeter wide range. So my thought with the primary is I don't really want to depart too far from that Raven or the Hoji, but 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 we're going to be playing a bit with the weight and basically finding a ski that I mean the short answer to your question is I'm I'm interested in using those as kind of a couple markers. Yep. That Hoji and the the narrower Raven and and um you know those are skis with um you know, a bit of a larger side cut radius. Mm-hmm. I am not cared, cared. I don't care about making slalom turns in the backcountry. I am not skiing these things on groomers. I've been talked about that to death. Um, that's not what those skis are designed for first and foremost. Yeah. I don't know if that's too much or too little, but, but, um, no, that's, that's good. And honestly, the, that's a really perfect kind of combination for me to look at there. And then real quickly, before we talk about the bindings and the boot combo, what lengths are you using on those skis? Yeah. So, uh, on both of them, I have spent the bulk of my time on the 184. Right. Um, I've skied, uh, I've skied the Raven in the 190 and I've written about this. I didn't feel like bumping up to the 190 gave enough of a stability bump to warrant going to a longer length when you are, you know, making kick turns and the rest and just dragging more ski up. And so just having skied the Raven in a 184 and 190, I did not opt to go to that longer length. This is a touring ski and I didn't feel like I was getting enough of a stability bump out of the 190 to go to the longer length. Yeah, absolutely. That had to be probably a pretty significant weight difference as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So that said, let's talk about bindings next. Yep. Slightly torn on this one. Um, It is so funny to me to continue to read comments on the internet about this. Um, The slippery slope, man. (laughs) Well, so like, so for example, um, I recently, we had, Garai Dadali on Gear uh-huh. 30 talking about their new tech adapters. Yep. And it is so funny to me the like how angry people got that like this product exists. <laughs> and and all these people weighing in who are just like, that's stupid. I, I, this makes no sense. It's so much heavier than a tech binding, completely, completely ignoring the fact. That if you go up in a tech binding, turns out I I also love tech bindings for going uphill. 
I don't necessarily like that I am on the way down having to deal like I'm locked into a tech toe. And and everybody complaining about the existence of that product completely refuses to acknowledge the difference between going downhill in an alpine binding versus the compromise of going downhill in a tech toe. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's shout out to all of you who made those comments. I saw them and like you're you're missing in a really important piece of the story for many of us. And I hope you don't blow your knees out in tech toes, right? Now, products are, all, out, man. products are all about compromises. That's what we're doing, especially with backcountry equipment, right? So for me, this is why I have been a big advocate for a shift binding. I get the benefit of being in a tech binding on the way up. And then on the way down, I am skiing an alpine binding. Again, it is an alpine binding. They ski very differently. They have different release characteristics. For me and the compromises and risks I want to make, I love going downhill in that binding, right? Now, that said, I use tech bindings. And, you know, current favorites, um, I'm big fan of ATK bindings if I'm going into that world. So again, sorry, long, long answer to the question here, Mm -hmm. but something like the moment Voyager Mm -hmm. or just a dedicated ATK or a shift binding, one of those three would be the binding I'd be putting on this. Um, And I, I frankly probably still am not 100% committed to it, but for me, I'm not worried about the weight differences on those things. And given where I tour, how I tour, et cetera, the fact is I probably would still put a shift binding on this thing. Yep. Okay. Sorry. That makes good sense. No, no, that's, that's actually great. It's good to get that full scope. And, you know, clearly your description of all of this is very in depth. Believe it or not, that happens quite a bit when I speak to clients. Um, and sometimes it's just a complete, uh, you know, I don't know. You tell yeah, me. Yeah. Um, but so I got a good picture there now for the third component yeah. of the kit. Let's talk about the boots yeah. and then we'll really lean into the use case, yeah. which is really going to illustrate kind of that performance compromise, you know, weight compromise thing. We got to talk about to really nail down how we want to configure this. Ski. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my two personal favorite touring boots of the moment. Um, I still get along well with the Technica Zero G Tour Pro, yep. but man, I am really getting along with the Atomic Hawks Ultra Boa. That's a boot yep. that I had in Alaska. I skied that boot every single day in Alaska. If we were, you were with me when we were skiing inbounds at Alieska, when we were skiing out of the heli. And then after you guys all had to take off, when I went touring with Paul and Turnigan Pass, I used that boot every single day, inbounds, heli skiing, touring. And, you know, it's you're accepting a bit of a weight penalty there, but I am extremely happy with how that boot goes downhill. Um, I still really like that Zero G Tour Pro. That is a lighter boot. I would not be content skiing the zero G tour pro in bounds. But so, you know, again, I, I am 
in a bit of a different position as a lot of people, I I kind of would cheat this question a bit and say those would be the two boots I'm using. I one that Zero G Tour Pro being more of a dedicated touring boot, but one of my favorite for its downhill, yep. you know, feel and capabilities. And then that Atomic Hawks Ultra Boa, um, it's as good of a 50-50 boot as I've skied. And I would put just, you know, keeping it uh, real, the, the Technica Cochise would be the other boot that I would put alongside that Hawks, the, the Atomic Hawks Ultra Boa for you get one boot for touring, for inbounds, yeah. et cetera. Both of those are my current favorites uh, that I've been in. So, yeah. Okay, cool. That that's that's a good illustrator. Um, that atomic boot, I I wish fit my foot. Yep. It would take some crazy boot work to really get it to configure into my mm -hmm. foot. I've got a couple pairs in my shop right now with some different mm -hmm. clients, and I'm kind of whenever I have a free moment, going over and futzing with them. And like, man, this boot looks pretty darn perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that said, my foot just fits with a Lang, so I use mm -hmm. that XC 140 free ride boot. And yep, similar, you know similar concepts so yep. all things considered i've got you know those two forefronts the hoji and the raven mm -hmm. um really both in that 184 we've talked about some atks that voyager for moment yep. um you know a couple other uh, uh types so i guess just the normal atk and then a shift style binding likely yep uh and then really that atomic boot is mm -hmm. likely going to be the one that's paired with this the most yeah so cool so that really gives me a very clear picture of how i need to configure this but now let's really lean into the use case so i mm -hmm. always like to preface this with be honest with yourself let's really talk about you know how you're using it you're a busy person you've got so many things to do you've got so many different skis to test you've got a lot on your plate all the time um, this is something I have to really kind of drill down on all the time when I'm having a custom fit is like, Hey man, don't watch the latest and greatest ski movie and think you're going to go do that. Like really who are you skiing with, where are you skiing, how are you using this product? And let's really talk about how it's fitting into your use case so that we can really balance that weight to performance ratio and really hit the nail on the head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, frankly, life still is um busy enough kind of has been for 13 years now with this whole blister thing but um because of that what it means for me is my backcountry tours are usually single lap days i'm it's like if i'm going out um it's we're we're going up we're coming down we're going home and um so i'm not doing a bunch of yo-yoing. I'm not getting out there early to go knock three or four or five laps out. And so because of those things, I'm fine uh, pushing a bit heavier on some of this gear. Um, I also am fortunate to live very close to a touring zone that I love. And so, you know, I'm driving eight to 10 minutes to a trailhead and then I'm start walking and in an 75 to 90 minutes, I'm at the top of a summit standing on something quite cool. Yeah. 
So we're really fortunate to have that kind of access here. So again, single lap day and not a long approach, right? It's a pretty reasonable, manageable approach. And I don't, you know, I don't set a stopwatch. So I am not trying to fly up stuff. Um, And also, these are some of the reasons why I don't mind pushing some of my touring gear a bit heavier because it the heavier it goes we've talked about this a ton generally the happier you're going to be on the downhill at least i am and you know sure going uphill on super light stuff is absolutely amazing but i've done this long enough and tested a huge range of products on the on the weight spectrum for skis and boots and know that for me personally i skew a little bit toward that I'm fine going a bit heavier. I'm not trying to go out on the heaviest stuff imaginable. Mm-hmm. Okay. How much vert are you generally doing <clears throat> on one of those days? Yeah. I mean, let's just cut, let's put the over under at 2000, 2K. Okay. So yeah. still pretty significant, you know, hour to hour and a half, maybe two hours on the long end for the climb. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd hazard a guess with where your fitness level is, that's exactly why you can easily make that you know weight compromise and just not be stressed about carrying a little bit extra weight to get Mm -hmm. that extra bang for your buck on the downhill yeah um and i know your neck of the woods well i know generally what kind of terrain you're going to be served with depending on the time of the year snow stability where the snow's at what happened in the last couple days etc etc so i would also kind of make some some guesses here is that's why you're living around that 104 to 112 range and in this giver, that 110 yep. underfoot is really checking all the boxes. You can run into some weird manky snow that yep. wasn't expected. You can still get precision out of a ski like that. Yep. You can hit soft snow, and that's plenty supportive. Yep. Um, you know, for for generally most soft snow and anything in between. So, um, you know, guess what? That's the same kind of touring that I'm generally doing, but I have to drive a lot further. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a Don. I got a Don Patrol. It's yeah. I get back to the manufacturing facility in Denver, but I'm doing similar stuff where I go bang out one lap, close to two thousand. I'm not making huge compromises on the weight because honestly, it's my ski for the day too, and I want to get a workout, so I don't want something yeah. that's just too easy on the uphill, and I want to have fun on the downhill. Yeah. So that said, um, and I, you know, can utilize your beautiful website to look this up. What are the weights on those two? Uh, skis that you were talking about, I would maybe guess you might know that. So the 184 centimeter forefront Raven, those are coming in right around 1750 grams per ski. And the 184 centimeter forefront Hoji, those skis, our measured weights are coming in right around 2065 grams per ski so i know the stated weight for the hoji is something like 1990 but our measured weights on the skis we've tested those are coming in at like 2065 okay okay cool so that is a pretty big split um you know i would guess we want to land somewhere in the middle there are you looking well, around that 1850 area or what's the real target that's yeah, so, kind of living in your head? And I guess let's also 
talk about length. So now that we're kind of segueing into the custom fit. Yeah. So this was discovery. You know, let's talk about what you've been skiing on, who you are, what the objectives are with this product. Now let's talk about the configuration and how we get to this weight. So that's also three big components. You've got the geometry. We've already landed on that. We know where we're going there. It's going to be this giver. Let's nail down that length. And then we'll move into the second big piece, which is construction. This is our wood core, our composite stabilization. That's really going to dictate the weight. Um, And then lastly, we'll dive into the camber profile, which is another big piece to this. So um, that said, where's your head at on really nailing down that length? Yeah. The the length, um, basically what I have been thinking about is sort of, you know, on that 184 Raven bumping to 190, I've been a little bit in a Goldilocks land there. And so was pretty interested in just kind of splitting the difference a bit there and would be really happy with something at like 186. If it was 186, 187, I don't really care too much. But I think, um, you know, that 186 is generally a pretty nice sweet spot. Still um, feels like it's not cumbersome in terms of length, um, you know, on kick turns or skin tracks or something. So short answer, 186. And if if we had to air slightly shorter or slightly longer, I would for sure air slightly longer. Okay. Okay. Good info there. And you're in good hands. We are custom ski manufacturers, so we can do any length you want. Okay. 186 is the sweet spot. We'll meet you right there. So we're going to be talking about a 186 giver with that 110 underfoot footprint. So 141, 110, 131 in a 186 with um, that giver footprint. So that is a good start there and then um just to round out the geometry we can always alter the way we want our tails to look in this case it's pretty clear what we want to do this is a touring ski it's getting you know paired with touring bindings let's give it the touring tail yeah so that you can have that nice integrated skin clip in the tail it just allows really any and all skin clips to nest back there and also the way we design that is another weight savings strategy we bucket out that tail we create a little saddle in it um just to actually remove some material and allow us to get that skin clip to clip in there so Mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about there is that 186 giver with that touring tail and then now let's really nail down the weight so Mm -hmm. i'm guessing kind of somewhere in between that 1990 1750 range 18 1900 somewhere there so this this was one of the things i most wanted to talk to you about and i don't know if this is how you typically work or you know but let me just ask my question and we'll we'll kind of see sure part of me was thinking i was curious if we could walk through a little bit like Mm -hmm. if we hit a weight range of this 186 centimeter giver if we were targeting that 1900 to 2000 gram range so call it you know 1950 give or take Mm -hmm. do the way you work if you if we said well what would this construction look like if we wanted to come in between 1900 and 2000 as opposed to coming in at 1800 to 1900 
mm-hmm. or 1700 to 1800, right? Right, right. Is that a conversation that you have with clients? Because I do like my stability. I do like good suspension. Mm-hmm. I like skis that um, punch a bit above. Like, wow, uh, for a touring ski, that's coming in pretty light, and yet it feels nice and predictable and stable uh, and intuitive on you know crap conditions or whatever. Yeah. So I guess I wasn't totally sure if I said, "Hey, I want this at 1950." Mm-hmm. Or if I if I came in and said I want this at seventeen fifty, mm-hmm. what would the ingredients of that cake start to look like, or the differences be? Yeah, totally happy to walk you through kind of each component of that. So we've got a bunch of different configurations that we can do across any shape, and it's going to clearly yield much different weights, much different feeling skis in general, uh, depending on what we're putting in them. So why don't we talk through the light case first? Um, mm-hmm. which in this case for this ski about as low as we can go is around that 1700 gram area, um, 1750 ish, depending on the organic. That is one thing that is out of my control is the wood just has variant to it. So you're going to yeah. see a little bit of extra grams here or there, depending on how that particular piece of wood was. But, um, that configuration is called our ultralight configuration. And what we'll do there is we're using our full Aspen core as the wood core. Mm. And then we're stabilizing that with our 100% carbon fiber with that graphene oxide additive, the mito stuff added into that material. And then really the biggest way that we ratio out a bunch of weight on that ski is one, make that wood core, that Aspen core, the most dominant component of the entire ski and then ratio down our plastics. So we actually grow the width of the core Mm. and reduce the width of the sidewalls to take away all that plastic weight. And then we do the pretty simple stuff of just cut our edges way back. Like you see in most touring skis, you don't want that edge to be running all the way up and doing a full edge cap. That's a lot of weight that you can remove right out of there. And what that's gonna yield in total in this particular ski that we're talking about is really in between that, you know, 1700, 1750 gram ratio. Hmm. Um, that said, something that's kind of important to note, uh, that I always like to kind of illustrate when I'm talking to somebody about these really light skis is we can go lighter. We can keep going lighter, but we just don't want to. We really feel strongly that especially for, you know, what we're talking about here, it's absolutely not correct, but there's a certain threshold where the ski is just lost too much performance and it's just not going to do what it's told to do. And it's going to be this big burly looking ski that just doesn't ski well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not afraid to raise a hand and say, Hey, look, like, trust me, you want to carry a little bit more weight here. Maybe take a few more things out of your pack and, mm-hmm. you know, reduce some weight in that component. Um, so we can build that and we can do some different configurations to get it lighter, but Folsom chooses not to do that, especially for these wider skis. Um, but that's, that, that's the general configuration for that ultralight is really reduce that plastic weight, full Aspen core, really grow that Aspen core out to reduce those sidewall widths, um, stabilize with that hundred percent, uh, carbon composite injected with that graphene, uh, additive into it. That just really adds a lot of muscularity, uh, damping and kind of stability to the overall product. And that's, what's going to yield 
that weight. Okay. What if so we bumped? If what we, if we then bumped up to that mid? You know, we then talked about the eighteen hundred to nineteen hundred, or call it the eighteen fifty gram range. We just talked about the seventeen fifty gram range. Yep. Walk so, us through that one. Yep. So kind of in this like light category, not the ultra light category. Um, that is going to be some weight reduction, but not massive. We can change the core configuration. We can go with our poplar bamboo core, which is just in general, a more substantial wood core than full Aspen. Full Aspen is, it's a great material and great, you know, substance to actually ski on, but it's just naturally very light and very forgiving. So you have to put a lot of stuff behind it to really add some strength to it. So when we, when we're allowed to put a little more weight in the ski, the first thing I'm looking at hmm. is looking at that wood core and having a just denser wood core. Uh, with that poplar and then that bamboo stringer, which believe it or not, that bamboo stringer is the biggest weight component in mm -hmm. the wood because that bamboo is just such a heavy material. Mm -hmm. So that would be the wood core configuration. And then I would still maintain that same composite ratio with the 100% carbon with that graphene additive into it. Um, that really reduces all the fiberglass weight out of the ski, but still gives it that same supple kind of more muscular feel. Um, and that's really going to combine and make a ski that's really right in that, you know, 18, 1850 gram ratio. Uh, another thing that I kind of skipped over is we'll, we'll keep the same ratio of plastic that we do across our resort configurations on this, which this is another way to just add some damping and some good dedicated weight structure into where it's living in the ski not a lot of ski manufacturers will talk about that openly or maybe they're not thinking about it i'm not sure um but that big fat uhmw sidewall that we use in all of our resort configurations that you know weight isn't a concern that's a heavy fat piece of material that's covering your entire edge key and a really important thing to give that ski a really clean interaction with pretty much any and every snow type so I do feel like that's a bit of a compromise when you get to that, uh, that ultra light configuration. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really amazing how just that really small change makes that big of a difference in that particular huh. speed. This is good. So, okay, let's keep it going because this next weight range was actually prior to this conversation, what I had been thinking I would probably be targeting. So let's now mm -hmm. talk about the you know, 1950, we're going to bump up from 1850 to 1950. What are we looking at here? Yep. So we're going to keep everything the same. Like I just said, with that poplar bamboo core to really be the foundation of the ski. And then we're going to pivot to our 70, 30 glass carbon configuration. So you can have more fiberglass in the ski, which inherently fiberglass, especially the stuff that we're using is just, it, it really does a better job of evenly distributing the weight to strength ratio across the entire ski. Um, that's where the carbon really can fall short is in the far, far tips of the skis. You know, when you're looking at that really thin reveal on the far tip, it's really this tiny, thin piece of wood and then a really thin weighted carbon. And it just can only do so much. So if we can put some glass up there, it's going to really allow the ski to just have a much more composed interaction in all snow. And so generally, this is what I would suggest for somebody when they're talking about, you know, what you just laid out with your use case, 
what you were talking about with, you know, the other skis that you've been using paired with the bindings you're using paired with the boots you're using is right around that, you know, in between 19 and 2000 gram, Hmm. this configuration is going to give you a really powerful ski that cuts out some significant weight to make it a little bit lighter where it should. And then in the event you end up skiing resort, the ski is going to shred resort. You're going to have no problem with it. Hmm. It's going to be fantastic and it's going to never, never fall short when you're out in the backcountry. It's just going to be a little bit more weight to lug around. So, okay, but I don't know if you know this, but I actually have in Blister headquarters two other pairs of givers. So I (laughs) wouldn't need to ever think about now. This is other people. I think a lot of people should be taking notes right now because I think a lot of people really are would be interested in a ski like this for kind of 50-50 use. Mm-hmm. But if I'm real clear, this would be a backcountry specific tool. I want to hear you just talk a little bit more about the compromises between the 1850, because honestly, I thought I was quite sure I would want to be in that 1950 range. You actually mm-hmm. sold me a little bit. I'm intrigued by that 1850 range. So mm-hmm. talk mm-hmm. me out of that. If I'm saying I am clear that for me, I, I'm not skiing this thing in bounds. Okay. So no inbounds at all. Not this and one. Honestly, we're, we're still quite far away from where you want that inbound ski to be anyway. You're, you know, want things to be in that 2300 gram ratio anyway. So that said, let's really nail down the, the, the 1850 to kind of 1950 range and mm-hmm. the big Delta between those and what we're doing. So that poplar bamboo core being the common, yep. you know, variable across both configurations. Can't change that. We're not changing the core thickness. We're not changing any of those attributes of that. This, the one thing we're changing is again, that carbon fiber versus fiberglass and carbon fiber mm-hmm. in the heavier weight version of this. So kind of like I was saying a couple minutes ago, when you have carbon fiber really asked to do all the stabilization in the far tip and the far tail of the ski, that's only two millimeters of thick. You've got, you know, this really thin reveal of yeah. that wood core transitioning into generally where the ski's rockered and then terminating into the tip and tail. It's only stabilized with these two really thin pieces of carbon. And even with that mitographene additive, it still will get a little bit deflected just due to the fact that it's missing overall mass. The far tip of the ski is just missing overall mass and there's only so much you can do. And what that's going to mean is the driver is going to have to try harder to tell it what to do on the downhill component, specifically a fun analogy. I always say, maybe it's not fun, but I always get a quick laugh at it is when you have a ski that's too light, especially in the far tips and tails, You've given the ski ADD. It can't focus on anything. Mm-hmm. It's just pinging around off everything. So yeah. it's not, you know, I, I'm exaggerating this to really drive it home about what this difference is and yeah. what it does. Um, but that's ultimately the biggest component is having that thicker fiberglass in those far tips and tails. That's really where all the weight's going to mm-hmm. have that overall mass more focused in those areas and then our 70 30 configuration is taking a bunch of that fiberglass out in the central section of the ski where the bindings land and replacing it with carbon fiber there so that then you're losing some weight there and the ski's so substantial in the center section of the ski already you've got this real thick core 
you as the driver are nice and balanced and pushing into it right when it's, you know, finally encountering that snow there directly underneath your feet. So ultimately you can reduce weight there and have that heavier weight, in the tips and tails. And that's, what's really going to give you that big, big difference between, you know, that 2000 versus kind of 1800 ratio. Believe it or not, it's crazy. When when people actually hold these materials in my shop, they're like, holy shit, like same flex index, half the weight, you know, that carbon versus that glass. And the way we'll put it in there can just drastically change the mm. ski. And this is, you know, just a, it, it honestly is a really fun exercise for me to to walk through this because we have such a history on this particular shape. And now you can really see how much we can do with the same ski yeah this is the same mold this yeah. is literally the same mold that i've had you know of, of course it's been rebuilt a number of times over the years as we've gotten more complex and built more fun tooling but same footprint and we can do a whole lot of different stuff with this ski mm -hmm. like a whole lot and uh yeah it can really 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 change the the paradigm of how that thing's going to be interacting in the snow mm -hmm. in a big way can we for just a second push to actually again talk about the hammer right because i was sure. i was extremely clear when we were talking about the design of that ski i wanted a i did not want a pow ski i wanted a resort chop destroyer mm -hmm. a resort chop destroyer and that's what that ski is that's but that <laughs> thing coming in in that 2300 2350 gram range mm -hmm. talk about that since you've kind of walked us through it's this is pretty cool like just hearing yeah. about how these things change and i know you said i think you put more fiberglass in that ski than virtually any ski you've ever made or something but you yeah. you tell me totally and that's and that's one component but the biggest component that we changed is our other wood core configuration, which is poplar maple bamboo. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I suggest most of the time for bigger, stronger skiers that are going to be skiing a resort ski from us is get the maple in there. That maple really, really adds an overall stiffness and overall damping quality to the ski. That's pretty hard to match with the rest of the materials that we have available. Um, so that alone adds a significant amount of weight. And then, we'll move into the fiberglass component. So I think one of the main reasons and why I fought you on the hammer all the way back when we were talking about yeah. this is, you know, and maybe I wasn't thinking about this clearly at the time, but was clearly thinking about it and how I wanted to design the ski and just couldn't speak about it clearly. Um, we really want you to feel the wood core the most. And if you listen to actually that panel session I did at the last, uh, summit there was a whole lot of conversation about the wood course and yep. it wasn't just me it was everybody else involved yep and that's one of our main ethos when it comes to Folsom skis is we want you to feel the wood we don't want to hide the wood with all the rest of the materials we want that wood to shine through and so that's why I was kind of like ah you don't need more Jonathan like we really got this thing really like stiff and strong um and we really lightly supported it with our full fiberglass configuration at the time um, which is now considered our, our 90% glass, 10% carbon. And mm -hmm. then on top of that, we just added extra stringers in that far tip and tail section. So that really, you know, really, really dry or draws a real clear circle of those tips and tails. And exactly for what you were asking for in this use case, 
the crud busting machine that mm-hmm. it was asked to be kind of that one dimensional ski that was going to have some compromise on versatility, yes. et cetera, et cetera. Yes. We just piled a bunch of glass into the tips and tails <laughs> yeah. until we yielded that weight. And we're like, well, all right, let's see if he likes this. And sure as hell, you're like, hell yeah, this thing's amazing, yeah. but it's not very versatile. And I'm like, yeah. well, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, but I was dead clear on that. that. Yeah. Now, you were, was, you were and, and, and by the way, like I thinking about, Probably some of my favorite days on that hammer was actually at a basin because the terrain, I mean, if you go off of Pali and you can get into some big compact moguls, but in uh, lots of other portions of that mountain, you're just kind of open rolling, you kind of open line terrain and you can just mob. Right. Crested Butte, we have a lot of, you know, steep, techy stuff where you're trying to shut down speed, you know, all the time. And uh, but I like that hammer thinking about where all the different places I skied it at or frankly, a place like Snowbird, Mm -hmm. that that ski would be amazing. Um, But if that's what you want and I was like, I am not trying to make a versatile ski here. And I know you're like, this is super weird. But, but that's what, you know, for somebody who has a big quiver, it's like, give me a chop destroyer. And well, um, and, and, and guess who really, really liked that product? California, the Pacific Northwest, this heavier snow. Yeah. yeah all these sure. people that's got their hands on that ski and they're like, yeah, this is it. Man. This huh. just deals with this snow so much better. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, okay. it, it was it was a, a, a very unversatile ski for my eyes at the time, but, um, you know, it, it definitely did what it was supposed to do. And it really was, it was against how I generally thought about, you know, adding the weight. And as I started doing it, I was like, this is what this is going to achieve. This is going to put the weight away from the central section of the ski in the far tips and tails, which is going to mitigate any kind of deflection you're gonna just have this cadillac just blah 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 blasting through everything mm-hmm. but then you get it into some dynamic terrain you want to do some billy goat like you just described at crested butte guess what it's gonna be a bitch to move because it's, <laughs> it's it's heavy yeah. it's stiff it's yeah. you know something that's gonna require a lot of of muscle to move it around so yeah, yeah it's it, it's really a, a crazy illustration actually this ski the green one directly over my head that is a 188 giver from 2015 that I still ski all the time. I don't even want to hazard a guess at how many days that ski has on it. Um, and that was the ski that I was kind of using as the foundation of the, the hammer, believe it or not. I was like, this is perfection. Don't mess with perfection, Jonathan. All right. Well, fine. Let's put a bunch of weight into it and see what it does. <laughs> so to and that, keep- ski, that, that ski is like 2180. Uh-huh. somewhere in there yeah yeah okay so to wrap this conversation on weight yep you've talked about ultra light construction kind of medium light mm-hmm. is that what and then next we're calling it what do you what are we calling this well, and that's, I don't want to muddy the waters any more than we always do at Folsom with all of our custom configurations. Um, really that ultra light is that ultra, ultra, you know, Aspen ratioed down glass. I mean, sorry, ratioed down plastic, yeah. full carbon, graphene additive. And then in the middle, which is generally our 70-30 configuration would be that poplar bamboo core, 70-30 glass carbon, which is going to get us into that 
um, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, uh, the, the next level up from that that we yeah. had discussed initially was Poplar Bamboo Full Carbon still, yep. um, which was going to get, you know, a level up from Ultralight. And then that 70-30 configuration, which I'm guessing is probably where we're going to land with that, you know, that, that compromise being around that 19, 1950 range in that 70-30. Uh, and then our general 90-10 resort formula all the way up to, you know, how we did that hammer mm -hmm. um, all kind of live in there. And that's, that's, you know, one of the many frustrations and I don't want to say frustrations because it's not really frustrating, but it's just complicated as a custom ski manufacturer is just like, trying to make this understandable and relatable across all of the different mediums that we are constantly playing with. And yeah. I think that doesn't really make sense to anybody until they either listen to something like what we're talking about now, a really deep dive, full nerdery ski conversation about this, um, or come into my shop and actually be like, holy cow, like, whoa, look at all the iterations of what they can yield out of this one ski shape and mm -hmm. how infinitely different the ski can react so mm -hmm. i think we've kind of nailed down the weight component dare we move into camber yeah <laughs> actually can we do no more than two minutes maybe only one minute on mount point yes what are you typically doing with this giver shape um what's your kind of range that you play with uh, for that, for recommended mounts, do you even ask yes. the customer what they're looking for? Let's talk about that real quick. Yeah, good question. So that's pretty conditional on the customer. And if they have hard opinions, I'm going to I'm going to ask it and I'm going to, you know, really give them good answers. But it's it's a couple things that we're looking at of where we want to land that. And so we have a true center and then a back from that. And that's generally how we define it. I know some companies will kind of deflect from that. And our true center is defined from the core center, which can get kind of confusing. So I'm not even going to get into that. But so general sweet spot that we're aiming for on this particular ski in this length range is usually in between minus five and minus nine. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty big splay because guess what? There's a lot of variables that cook into that. Yeah. Um, you've got boot sole length, you've got individual's height, you've got what boot they're using you've got what camber profile you got you've got just what they like you know mm -hmm. oh i like it more centrally mounted oh i yeah. like it more directionally mounted hey i want more tail in the snow i want this ratio like this like yeah um that said uh you know i really almost always ski that ski right at about negative 7.75 and it's just like dialed yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's where I was going to come in. I mean, if you'd, if you'd asked, I would have said minus seven to minus eight. And so I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. and I've skied yep. enough Folsom skis in that minus 7.75 range. I, it feels like yep. a real comfortable marker. And so that's what I'll just say for yep. this. Um, yeah, but we can just call it minus eight if we want, but yeah. A couple sure. mils in front of that. There we go. So that'll be the mount point for this. Yep. Okay. And you're like a 303 boot, right? 305. Yeah. 303 to 305. 305. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that's like, that's really where you should be on that. Cool. Um, yeah. The shape. This is the other conversation um, I wanted to have. You know, honestly, for this one, for some reason, um, I'm thinking about not going full reverse. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about putting 
a little bit of traditional camber underfoot. Mm-hmm. Um, I still like my backcountry skis to be loose enough if and when you encounter things like breakable crusts or just gnarly frozen, refrozen crud. Um, I don't want a bunch of camber biting into that and where I'm feeling like I'm fighting it. But I think um, because the two givers that we've done in the past, those were kind of the full reverse. I kind of was, kind of was, yeah, yeah, SRC. I was curious about how you talk about this, how how subtle, if we're talking about a very tiny amount of traditional camber, mm-hmm. how you talk about this to customers in terms of a little bit makes a ton of difference or you actually have to start introducing quite a bit of traditional camber underfoot to really start noticing that difference. What mm-hmm. say you? Yep, for sure. So when it comes to touring ski, I'm pretty outspoken and more often than not, we're going to have a little bit of traditional camber in the ski. Um, reason being is it just, it's, it's a safer choice across more medium mediums of snow. And if you just put a tiny amount in there not really spring the hell out of the ski and put like 11 millimeters of camber in there, you only put three, maybe mm-hmm. five at max at the apex directly underfoot that is easily compressible. You've got a ski that's more accessible across more snowpack conditions than something that's just naturally released all the time. You know, I know, I'm guessing a lot of people that are listening to this right now know when you're touring, you kind of don't know what you're going to get into. Mm-hmm. You you know, go over on that shoulder. You may encounter some breakable crust. You may find some wind buff. You may find just this blower deeps off snow. So you want to have something that's going to load with just the tiniest amount of camber to give you quick purchase and quick control of that ski, no matter what's underneath you. But you also want it to let it release easily so that the ski can actually bend into its natural form quickly and allow it to elevate back into the snowpack. Um, another thing to consider and another thing that I'll always drive home with touring skis is walking around on reverse cambered skis on skin trails can be frustrating. Mm-hmm. It really can. Um, you know, if you, if you do a really flat camber, reverse camber, you're still making enough contact and it doesn't really get in the way. But if you've got a heavily reverse right, cambered yeah. ski with some yeah. skins on it and you got some slippery conditions and your contact points, maybe only 70 centimeters or something, actually, that's making contact with the snow. It's, it's frustrating. So that's generally where we go is put a little bit of camber in a little bit. You got to be careful with that. You know, yeah. just a very small load to it so that it can just have versatility. That's, you know, the nature of the beast with touring skis and really just skiing in general. The days are so variant. You never know what the hell's going to happen out there. It can change, you know, from one aspect to the other. Two hours later, whatever it may be, you can be dealing with an entirely different snow type. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's generally what I say is like, hey, trust me, let's go directional rocker. Let's put you know, a good ratio of tip rocker in there, generally something that's around 80 mil, 75 mil tip height, around 300 millimeters of aggression in the tip. And then a nice, slow, gradual camber that's only climbing three to five millimeters max. Mm -hmm. Terminating right near the tail. That tail's only going to have usually about 200 
millimeters of aggression on that rocker and a really low directional tail height that's generally in between you know 15 to 25 millimeters high so that you also can kick turn easily that giant twin tip isn't getting in the way you know just something that's you know something you can set and make an anchor with if you need to do that something you can jam in the snow you need a functional tail um you know if in the event you're a way more rad skier than i am and you need some giant tail to land you know some you know switch nine whatever and be riding it out (laughs) switch in deep snow hell yeah i'll build that for you please send me photos and video when you do it but generally that's not the use case (laughs) yeah okay so that i don't feel like pushing back on any of those aspects of it i think some of that just seems um pretty functional and i don't I'm not hand wringing over those decisions. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and I can't stress enough how important it is to load the camber ever so lightly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just have this giant sprung camber, it's going to make that ski really frustrating a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we actually have specific molds for all kinds of variant camber heights. And on these ones, we run our lowest just to really make sure that when those skis get put together, you're just barely seeing any camper on them. They're not mm-hmm. cranked out. Not like that turbo right behind me. That's got probably 15 to 18 millimeters of camber in each of it, <laughs> just to be an unbelievable trampoline when you load it. Right. <laughs> yep. Not a, fu- not a fun touring ski. No, and that tip. I don't think that tip would work very well with uh, <laughs> uh, skins either. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dude, is our work here done? Are we done on this thing? Yeah, I mean that's the configuration that I think would really be the the home run here, and hopefully, kind of put some blinders on the rest of the rest of the other stuff that you might be looking for in mm-hmm. this category. Sure, you got to test other skis, but yeah. I want to give you that ski that makes you feel like you're coming home, yeah, and really have the right ski. And I think we just nailed that down. And the fun part of this is, do you want to see the aesthetic when it's done or do you just want to see it in person? No, I don't know. I I definitely want to, we're going to, we're going to do some back and forth on that. I I don't want to, I don't, I I don't think I like (laughs) surprises. Uh, Somebody, one of my friends was recently saying that and it might, I was like, it might be true, but uh, so (laughs) we'll, we'll maybe do some yeah do some work on that but uh um yeah well my my design team is has just focused on that and we're starting to do this really cool collab with bag bomb and and coming up with how we're going to put this together and um i'll get that across your desk as soon as i can here so that we can get these bad boys built and get this to the home plate and get it underneath your feet asap yeah i agree i don't like surprises either i got my second (laughs) kid coming and whenever Whenever people tell me they take that, you know, as a surprise from the gender, I'm just like, dude, what's wrong with you? Yeah. How can you sit across the table from a doctor that knows what sex that is and not yeah. <laughs> get the answer, man? I like to know. Well, last thing I'll say here is, again, um, I hope people find this project kind of interesting and hopefully some people found it interesting to hear us kind of walk through this. Um I do not expect that there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have exactly the same priorities as me 
the same things they really care about, the same things they don't really care about at all. But the whole point of this is to help you understand what you do care about. And you might be in a very different position than I am with respect to all of this stuff. But I think um, hopefully this exercise will help you think through some of that and and um, that, you know, there's just some more clarity to go around for people. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is I think it will be really interesting. At the summit, we will have that hammer edition. People can pick it up, you know, check it out. We can have that first primary 110, give her 110 now, and then they'll have this kind of touring version. And um, mm-hmm. that might be interesting for people to, you know, sort of get to see those exact skis that we're talking about um, and kind of check those out. And I think yeah. the one thing I'm going to hold you to, this ski has to come in under 2000 grams. Oh, yeah. So I really want to, if it's, I don't, I will not. 1999 it is, no, buddy. No, <laughs> I, I, uh, I really, you, you actually convinced me in this conversation. I was like, I'm going 1850. And then you kind of brought me back. But I do think like, if this is coming in in that 19 to 1950, uh, that's where, you know, we do these dumb things, right? Like as skiers, sometimes we're like, that ski's one centimeter longer than I want or it's two millimeters wider and we know like we know rationally like dude that doesn't matter at all i am confessing for this purpose if it's (laughs) like oh it's 2050 and i'm like i don't know like we ski so many skis now that are inbound skis coming in at that sort of it's you know that just over the 2000 gram marker so Mm -hmm. that's that's going to be my biggest I guess, challenge to you. Requirement. Okay, we'll call it my biggest requirement. Yeah, It's a requirement. It must be shy of 2,000 grams. I'm very confident I can nail that one down. No problem. This is lucky. Luckily enough, this ski has been in my lineup for almost the entirety of this company. Yeah. So our historical data on this is robust. Um, Like very, very so. That shouldn't be a problem. Again, the one thing that is out of my control is the only organic in the ski. Yes. And we can kind of, you know, weigh that core before yeah. and judge it. But there's also how much that epoxy is actually yep. going to get drawn into the core, which yep. is another consideration. There's so much little variance and nuance to what can add or take weight away from a ski, especially in that component. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll get there. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. No problem. Should be an issue. Hey, I need to let you get going. We should both get going just before I do. We'd like to finish things up with the crashes and close calls segment. The last time you were on, you shared a story, but this time I understand you kind of have crashes and close calls kind of wedding edition. And I don't, I don't think I've heard this whole story. So would you please share? (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, I've got a lot of these crashes and close call stories, the nature of who I am. And this one was uh, very poorly timed, literally emergency surgery 10 days before my wedding in 2019. The final test, one might say for my now wife, which she passed with flying colors, but Long story short, this was a summertime injury, which is less normal for me. I'm more mm-hmm. of a wintertime injury kind of guy. 
<laughs> um, but in a past life, I was a very aggressive semi-professional wakeboarder. And I've kind of taken a pause to that sport for many years because it's just so brutalizing on your, your really your knees and your entire body. And this back in 2019 was the perfect case of having some young people in my boat and a perfect case of me being like, hold my beer, watch this. I'm tired of watching you guys not be able to do anything cool on a wakeboard and typical end of the day everybody's gone and i'm like all right now watch the old guy go do some dope stunts and i jump on the board i get behind the boat do a couple big airs and then come in in a really hard toe side cut and do something called a scarecrow which is a really large front side flip with a half twist in it and i took it way too big and like landed 20 feet outside of the transition of the wake took it all flat also completely like on my back leg which was my right leg and it just popped my patellar entirely entirely full rupture on my patellar so i felt it i heard it i let go of the rope i had that moment of like oh no <laughs> like something real bad happened fell down into the water you know etc etc emergency exit out of there my now wife at the time had to figure out how to back my monster truck in with a boat trailer and trying to get the boat taken off the water while I'm pretty much blacking out from pain. And eventually, and all the while I'm trying to be positive while I'm literally coming in and out of consciousness because it hurts so unbelievably bad. Um, we go to like an urgent care because I'm like, I think it's just dislocated. I think I just have a dislocated knee. Don't worry about it. And the urgent care is just like, no, no, like get out of here. Don't even get out of the car. You need to go to an emergency room right now. So go over to the emergency room, see a doc. They look at my leg and they're like, oh gosh, we got to call this doc in on Sunday to go do this surgery. Now, this is very wow. bad. Wow. You having a complete rupture in your patellar, which is that giant, you know, tendon right in the front of your knee. My kneecap had shifted all the way up into my thigh. So Dude. it was sitting way up in the central section of my quad. And, you know, all the while I'm just thinking like, I got a wedding in 10 days, man. I got a wedding in 10 days and I'm talking to the doctor about this. And he's like, shut up. Just like, you don't, don't fight us. Yeah. We're putting you down. Yeah. We're getting you in an emergency surgery right now. We're literally calling in the doctor, you know, on his day off to come and deal with you and get this taken care of. So Fast forward, I get the surgery, you know, kind of in and out through that component of it. And as I come to, you know, I'm like trying to speak with the doctor like, hey, man, how's the how's the wedding going to go for me? Like, how am I going to be through this? This is a pretty major surgery. And he's like, you're definitely going to get wheeled down the aisle on a wheelchair. Like, no question. This is very severe. Your leg is not going to be weight bearing nor able to move for at least eight weeks. Like you're done, buddy. This is what's happening. I'm like, ah, you know, you don't know me. I'll be right. Get a good, I don't have time for this shit. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, to, to kind of pull this all the way full circle, um, you know, I didn't really get a clear picture of how gnarly the surgery was mm -hmm. until really maybe a day later when I could physically see the wound and you know, they cut you just like a knee replacement, a knee replacement, like mm -hmm. all the way from, you know, right about your VMO and your quad all the way down to your shin and just fillet you open and pull that thing back together, oh, stitched it all back together. Luckily I had a really good doctor that really got it, you know, done right the first time. 
And anyway, I was able to uh, walk down the aisle with just the assistant of a suit matching cane. So I had a nice cool blue suit. I got Uh a suit matching cane ordered and I was able to just grin and bear it to get myself down the aisle. And luckily had this big locked out brace that I could kind of hide under my pants and (laughs) got through the ceremony and couldn't get to the beer fast enough after that to continue to numb the pain. Had the night of my life, mm. literally gave my mom her first dance, gave mm. my wife her first dance, did the whole thing. I wasn't letting this stupid injury ruin that day for us and uh, got through it. And then all of a sudden, the medical bills started rolling in. So and that was not a pretty sight. <laughs> I'm always interested in this. Did you have insurance at the time? I did. Um, it wasn't the best, you know, I self-employed for many, many years and just had, you know, what I thought was a pretty decent insurance and, um, didn't, you know, you you can't think about it at that time. You're just giving them your insurance card and just hoping everything's going to work out for the best, get through my wedding, get through everything else. And then, you know, not only are we dealing with just the cost of what that wedding was, and then all of a sudden these, these wedding or these, these medical bills just start showing up. And I'm like, 10 grand out of pocket with insurance. What are you talking about? How is this possible? Like, why did I even have insurance? What's going on? So yet another kind of cautionary tale, folks. Yeah. Spot. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. (laughs) and I mean, it's worth every darn penny. And that's, that was kind of my exact thing when I had my accident on a mountain bike a couple years ago, it was like, dude, I, I pay my. 500, 600 bucks a month of insurance. I should be good. This is the part where you take care of me. And I was, I had that same thing. And that's why I keep pleading with people, go look at what your actual deductible is. I didn't know the day I wrecked. And so you're talking about writing out of pocket checks for 10 grand. I think mine was around $8,000 and it was for something way, way less consequential than what you're describing. So that's why we care so much about this. And, and, um, I think, you know, continuing to share these stories of like real people and this is what's happened to us and we don't want it to happen to you. And, and honestly, as you're telling this story, I know that under blister plus, Whitewater kayaking is covered, rafting is covered, but I don't know for a fact right now that wakeboarding would be covered. So I'm actually going to find out an answer to that tomorrow um, because that's how this works. Like we've been able to get prices down a lot Mm -hmm. compared to like the cost of health insurance where we pay all this money and then we still have to write checks for eight grand or 10 grand. Yeah. You know, so we, but it is sport specific anywhere yeah, in the world, yeah, sport yeah. specific anywhere in the world. And and so I will, I will, um, it's, I learn a lot off these stories myself. And so I'm going to go find out, like we know whitewater kayaking anywhere in the world is covered as is rafting. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll look into wakeboarding and report. Yeah, I, gotta matter, I gotta imagine water skiing and wakeboarding gotta be covered in that, but I'll be interested well, yeah, to hear. I mean, we'll see, but, um, anyway, man, um, so not only were you, you had wedding expenses, but yeah, you got to throw a gnarly knee surgery on top of all of that too. So yeah. 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 Great way to, to start my married life off. Uh, the, 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 the thing that really was the funniest to me through the whole thing is 
you know, of all the people that you think would really lose their mind on you for making that decision. And, you know, I didn't choose to get hurt. It was an accident. Yeah. Just, you know, shit happens. But all the people that I figured were going to lose their minds on like, what are you doing, Mike? You're choosing to do this shit right before your wedding. You know, my mom, her mom, her dad, you know, all these other people, nobody, they're all like, whatever, man, we totally get it. You're, we're just glad we're happy. Mm. My father was the singular person that really <laughs> lost his mind. On and I was like, how is this the thing, man? I'm a product of you. Like you made me like this. Why are you so mad? Like, how is this even surprising? Even kind of. So <laughs> That's great. that was, that was an interesting piece, but we got through it. And now I just have a really loud knee with all the arthritis in it, but we're mm. looking good. Lovely. <laughs> hey man, um, yeah. good to talk. I'm excited to do this project and um, yeah, people can come see it. We'll be reporting on it and um, yeah, look forward to uh, getting this sucker finished, sent to Crested Butte and then I'll come to, I'll have to at that point make the hundred percent decision on what binding I'm putting on it. But, uh, this, this'll be cool. And, and I'm stoked that a bunch of people are going to be able to check it out for themselves at the summit too. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, it's cool, man. I mean, just like, again, this was such a weird small world story, how this all came together. Yeah. And it's, it's like really, really surreal for me to just kind of get linked up hmm. with this whole thing and such an old company that it wasn't really, you know, that aware of until I was, and now you're rolled into it and we're in it. And it's, it's just this whole combination. So yeah, pretty cool. pretty cool, man. I can't wait to get these things built. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to take some extensive notes. I know this will be published quite soon, but I'm going to take some extensive notes on this build right now, just so I don't mess anything up. <laughs> Cause I know I got one very harsh requirement I need to fit or <laughs> meet rather. That's right. Hey, man, <laughs> on that note, I'm going to let you go, but we'll talk to you soon. Yep. Yep. Sounds good, man. Appreciate oh. the conversation. It's great. All right, man. Take care. All right, folks. Well, that's a wrap. And this coming Monday over on our Blister podcast, we have one of the greatest modern athletes out there, full stop, of any sport, Courtney DeWalter. We just had Courtney at our Blister Speaker Series event at Western Colorado University this past Tuesday night. Courtney was absolutely incredible. The crowd was incredible. I don't care if you've never run a day in your life. You, I'm sorry, you're an idiot if you don't listen to this. This is truly a modern goat. You know, the term goat gets thrown around a lot in a number of different sports, but when the goat label gets thrown around Courtney, it's extremely deserving. So check this one out. Lots of incredible insights in that one. So, you know, do yourself a favor. And then on Tuesday, over on our Blister Cinematic podcast, we've got Elise Saugstad. I finally get to talk to the cooler person in the Cody Townsend household the one who makes a better, nicer turn than Cody, and yeah, definitely cooler. Um, we have Elise, and she and I are talking about her excellent new film, Here, Hold My Kid. So this weekend, maybe it's tonight, maybe it's Saturday night, maybe you re-watch it on Sunday night, go check out Here, Hold My Kid, the film that Elise did with her and 
Jackie Peso. Okay, yeah, Cody's in it too. Not that any of us care, but go check it out. And then Tuesday morning, you will be hearing my conversation with Elise. That's about it, folks. The last thing I need to do here is say thank you to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And of course, thanks to all of you. We appreciate you. Thanks for being into this. Thanks for supporting our gear dorkery endeavors and passions. We're glad you're one of us. I hope you